We've been talking. <laughs> we've been talking about fall. You guys are kind of acting like the cold weather's got you sleepy. Did I mention yet in this series how much I despise cold weather? Okay, okay, well, uh, you know, fall, I, I know that it is officially here. You know, you know how I know? I drove up Yale a couple of days ago, and just south of 81st Street, in between, of course, 81st and 91st Street on Yale, whoever owns that horse place has put the witch on the, on the uh, telephone pole. Every year, they put up this decoration on that telephone pole of a witch that has run headlong into the telephone pole. And so you have this witch smashed into the telephone pole, and the broomstick stuck through, and there it is. So I know it is officially fall, because the witch of Tulsa has arrived. Of course, she never left. She just goes into hibernation in their garage. But I will tell you that it seemed like a lot of people are interested in the spirit realm. Even people who don't normally portray an interest in the spirit realm. And so for our fall, uh, beginning of the fall series, I thought it would be absolutely awesome for us to talk about the real spirit. And that is the Holy Spirit that is at work in the world that we live in even right now. Now I will recognize with you today that there are extreme views that could be considered today. Matter of fact, there is one view concerning the Holy Spirit that that would almost agree with the headline from the 1960s in the newspaper, God is dead. It almost agree with that, that, that... The Holy Spirit, in everything that the Holy Spirit did, He no longer does today in our world. That that the Holy Spirit is relegated to the past. Even though you have an entire Bible that is full of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, even in creation, the Bible says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Even in creation, we see the activity of the Holy Spirit. And how many of you will recognize with me today that there is creative power when the Holy Spirit hovers? Just to get in His presence. But, but you know, we see that. And we see the Holy Spirit working in miracles. And there are, there are signs and there are wonders. And that rolls into the New Testament. And we see the Holy Spirit at work even through Christ. And, and when we see the church and we see all of this activity of the Holy Spirit. And some people say that, well, that's just where it stopped, right there. The Holy Spirit stopped in the past. And He is no longer doing any of that. It's all relegated back then. And then there are other people who, um, who get so hyper-spiritual. I'm going to try to be real careful right here. They get so hyper-spiritual that they even start calling some stuff that isn't the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. All right, that's... Is that okay to say it like that? I mean, you know, I, I come from, and many of you know that, um, grew up in a, in a uh, Pentecostal environment as far as church is concerned. And I will tell you that there was a lot of stuff that happened in our church services that we blamed on the Holy Spirit. That, I mean, if you really think back, it 
probably, it probably wasn't. It probably was just whatever. And, and okay. You know, you get the song going fast enough and you can get everybody moving. You know what I'm saying? Or, I mean, you, you put an expectation on a church service to say, we really haven't had church until we behave in this way, then, then there's an expectation for people. And sometimes um, I would have to admit that sometimes uh, we probably went hyper-spiritual, probably, probably got into uh, some things that were really just in our flesh, just, just releasing whatever emotional energy that we needed to release. Now, we'll tell you this, that the people that rest on this side that say, well, let's stay completely away from the Holy Spirit because there are those people that are in excess, uh, they kind of feed that. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, and these people over here, uh, while they're saying, no, man, we're, we're afraid of the Holy Spirit because uh, sometimes the flesh might uh, get in the way. Now, these people over here are saying, well, you know what, uh, let's prove to them over there that the Holy Spirit works. And so there, there's a little bit of an exasperation over here, and they're kind of feeding off each other. I kind of like to think that you could land somewhere in the middle. That somehow or another there's a balance to the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. That you and I, we don't have to land on this camp that says, well, the Holy Spirit is not active, the Holy Spirit's not working, the Holy Spirit doesn't do all of that stuff. Uh, but, you know, we don't have to land over there, but we don't have to land over here where the Apostle Paul even talked to the Corinthian church and said, you guys need to stop that. I mean, Apostle Paul talking about hyper-spiritualism among themselves in their public gatherings where he actually said, let everything be done decently and in order. You guys are out of order doing those things like that and, and blaming, okay, that's five of you, blaming it on the Holy Spirit. Paul was teaching them there's got to be a place where we land where there is an active presence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Where God isn't dead, where our flesh isn't out of control, where we can recognize the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that is going on right now in our world in real time. I'm talking to people that... You could probably use a little bit of real-time Holy Spirit going on in your life. I know I could. And so Jesus, speaking to the disciples in John 16, this has been a, a key text for us, speaking to the disciples in John 16, he said this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. That the Holy Spirit is going to be so active in your life that you're not even going to have to wonder what truth is. That the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into these things that right now you can't even bear. You can't even bear to carry these things. It's just too heavy for you right now. And so the Holy Spirit is going to come and the Holy Spirit is going to guide you into the truth that is found in God and only in God. And the Holy Spirit's going to do that for you. So again, I say, you don't land in this camp over here that says, well, there is no activity of the Holy Spirit. You don't land in this camp over here that I don't think anybody in this room wants to go into some type of 
hyper-spiritual thing that's going on that, that really is, is just flesh, that I think that we all would like to kind of land in this place where we know God is real, and we know God is powerful, and we know that God is still doing stuff among us, and we just really rest upon His abiding presence that is working in our lives. And I will tell you that this is even much more important if you're going through a traumatic time in your life. And we'll talk about that in just a second, a little depth, but let me just throw this in for good measure. We need the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in order to bear the things that are going on in our lives. We need Him. We shouldn't be afraid of that. We shouldn't be afraid to say, come Holy Spirit. Come into my life. Speak into my life. Guide me into all truth. Matter of fact, there is a guiding of the Holy Spirit that not only illuminates truth, it enables truth. And it not only enables truth, it empowers truth in our lives. It empowers truth. The Holy Spirit illuminates, enables, and empowers the truth in our life. So we've been talking about Romans 14, 17. Let's go there real quick. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, so it's not a matter of physical things. I mean, I think it's important also to recognize that eating and drinking would be, is really a great, is a great example of the satisfaction that comes from what are felt needs in our life. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like to eat. You know what I'm saying? And I don't like to be thirsty. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I like to eat, and I like the idea that, that uh, I don't have to be thirsty. Matter of fact, I've been hungry. I don't like being hungry. That's why the spiritual discipline of fasting is like horrible. I mean, you know, I mean, only a weirdo would say, I like to fast. I'm like, no, you don't. You know? I mean, nobody, I don't like to be hungry. I don't like to go without food. I need my food. I need Whataburger taquitos in the morning. Hamburgers in the afternoon. You know what I'm saying? And I don't like to go thirsty. I've already had Dr. Pepper in multiples today. All of the health nuts in the house just lost a tooth. The tooth right out in your hand. But I'm doing good. I'm on about three ounces of water. Three ounces of water. Two liters of Dr. Pepper. Makes for one great sermon. But you know, I mean, I, I don't like to... Felt desires, wants, needs, something you crave. The kingdom of God is not a matter of craving physical things. It's not a matter of even desiring physical things, but of righteousness. We talked about that, righteousness is the ability by the Holy Spirit to do the right thing. And then peace, which, I mean, peace is just, you got peace, darling. 
It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This, this word joy in the Greek means calm delight. It means calm delight. It, do, it doesn't mean... <laughs> That's hilarity. That might even be considered happiness. Okay? The feeling of happy. I mean, we all want to join Pharrell. We do. We all want to live happy because I'm happy. We all want to live there. But this idea of joy isn't that fleeting feeling of happiness, that fleeting feeling of of hilarity that, that may come on us at moments. It is, it is more than that. It is this deep-seated satisfaction. It's, it's what we were talking about last week, a satisfied soul. But it is, this, it is this calm delight that no matter what my circumstance, no matter what's going on around me, no matter, no matter what's happening in the realm of eating and drinking and pleasures and all of that, no matter what's going on in my life, there's just this thing in the Holy Spirit that I find myself in calm, in calm delight, in joy. See, the deal for most of us is that we try to seek our joy in, in, in everything else. Eating and drinking, which I'm not opposed to. No matter of fact, I think that there are a lot of God-honoring, God-honoring, even God-worshipping activities in our lives that may or may not even have anything to do with what we would consider a walk with God or a Christianity or even religion. I mean, I feel like, man, if you're a hunter and you're good at it and you're out there hunting, you're, God, you're honoring God in that activity. You know what I'm saying? You're, if you're a fisherman and you, and you really enjoy that, I enjoy bass fishing and, and um, I don't feel any condemnation on my life when I go fishing. Because I believe that's a God-honoring activity. And I get some joy there, this circumstantial joy, but I get some joy in doing that. This past Friday, I went golfing. Oh. Just to get out on a golf course and play a round of golf. Is any golfers in the house? Any golfers in the house? Raise your hand, golfers. Let me play with the golfers here for a second. I went golfing the other day and Prove to myself one more time that I'm not fit for the PGA, but I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed doing it. I mean, I had one or two holes that looked really good. Like, where did that come from? Whose golf game did I just... What was that? It was real funny for the golfers. How many of you know that all of us scratch... are Not scratch golfers, but... Uh, you know what I'm talking about. All of us duffing golfers, we, um, we carry water balls in our bags. A water ball is a ball that you don't care to lose. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't pull out the brand new, the brand new Top Flight XL 3000. You know, you don't pull that out. It's, you don't, if, there, if you're on a pond and you don't have any confidence that you're going to miss it, 
You pull out the ugliest ball you got in your bag. You pull out this ugly old scratched up, dirty, dingy thing that you found that had been laying out, in the, out, out there on the golf course in the water, been laying out there forever. And that's the ball you pick on the, and we call that a water ball, don't we? That's my water ball. I teed off with the water ball on the first hole because I just figured there's no way. I ain't played golf so long. I'm going I'm to definitely hit it in the, we lined up at South Lakes. We lined up right on. Right on the first tee box is right on the driving range. I knew for sure I'm, I'm going to hit my water ball in the driving range. I played 15 holes with that water ball. I mean, I hit it so good the first time, I'm like, well, I'm just going to keep the ugly thing. And I kept going for 15 holes. I played 15 solid holes. I lost that ball on the 16th hole. And guess where I lost it? You got it, in the water. I gave it back to the water god. But, but here, here's the deal about that. Here's the deal about that, you know, is that, uh, man, you go out there. I, I, en- I enjoy going out there. And I tell you, a, a great thing about us is I got a foot wedge, and we call improving your lie. You got to improve your lie. That means your ball's lying on the ground, and you're, you're going to kick your ball, or you're going to move your ball with your club when no one's looking. And you're going to put because your ball might be like in a divot or something. And so you got to get it out of that divot and you got and you kind of set it up where it's really easy to hit. And you could do that like if you're behind a tree, foot wedge that puppy. Just foot wedge that, don't count the stroke, just foot wedge that out from behind the tree. And everybody goes, man, I thought you were behind the tree. My club hadn't hit the ball. (laughs) Suddenly you got a straight shot. I'm killing you, aren't I? I went to an event one time, Zig Ziglar. Anybody ever heard of Zig Ziglar? I went to an event one time, Zig Ziglar was talking, and, and uh, he played golf with, the, there's a professional golfer out of um, Stillwater, Oklahoma, that lived, lives in Stillwater, and he played there, and, and, um, and, and Zig Ziglar was coming to Tulsa to do this. Y'all remember when they used to have these big events where all the corporations would buy tickets and send their employees there because they're going to pump you up. You know what I'm saying? And so we all got, went there and got pumped up, and I... I went, uh, Joe Hazelwood and I went, matter of fact, uh, to this one, and, and Zig Ziglar was talking, and he talked about playing golf with this guy, the professional golfer the day before, and he said, I made an agreement with him. He said, I will go play, and, we will, and I will play with you at your country club, but the only way I could compete with you is if you'll allow me to, to uh, improve my lie on every hole, one time on every hole. And that professional golfer said, okay, I'll let you do that. That'll be our agreement. You can improve your lie. He said, we got there, and, you know, he hit off the first tee, and I hit off the first tee, it went over there. He's on the green in two. I'm on the, you know, four, five, six, seven. He said, I finally put the ball in, and I look at him and say, that was a, a, a par, which means he did it in four, and he did it in, like, nine. Okay, he said that, that was, and he said, this professor golfer wrote that down. He said, they got about to the fifth hole. He said, I'm hitting the ball nine and ten times every time. And every time I'm saying that was a par, that was a birdie. And finally, he said, he stopped me. He said, now, wait a minute. You hit the ball nine times. A par is four, a birdie is three. There is absolutely no way you got a par or a birdie on this hole. He said, ah, you told me I can improve my lie on every hole. He was talking about a different kind of lie. Anyway, anyway, he lied on ever. You know, don't. That's not God honoring. But anyway, if you have an agreement when you go out, you know, when you think about these activities, you know, I get some, I get some, I get some happiness 
out of that. I, I tell you what really makes me happy. Y'all want to know what really makes me happy? Some beach, somewhere. Yeah. You know, I, I, I derive a lot, of, a, a lot of joy out of that. There, I mean, you know, happiness out of that circumstance. But the, but the deal is, is that, is that um, you know, circumstances have a way of turning on you, do they not? They have a way of turning on you. And so you, you might derive some happiness out of these activities, but when things aren't exactly going your way, this is what I want to talk about, when things aren't exactly going your way or when life sometimes gets rough, I have to ask somebody this question, where is your joy coming from now? Where is the joy? Matter of fact, I will tell you that I've been through circumstances in my life that there was no golf course that could make me feel better. There was no ride in my Jeep that could make me feel better. There was no lake that I could fish on that would make me feel better. There was no beach that I could lay on that would make me feel better. The bottom line is, I was going through such a tragic moment in my life that there was absolutely no way I could get any happiness or any joy out of any circumstance that would be eating and drinking. And what do you do in those moments in your life? Well, I think the word of the Lord is crying back to us that, that this idea of righteousness, this idea of peace, this idea of joy, not a hilarity, not a, not a <laughs> kind of happy momentary feeling, no, but this calm delight, this something that goes on deep on the inside of your, of your entire being that is speaking this idea of joy to you that goes beyond your circumstance. But it rests in the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. It rests in that abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that is speaking something different than your circumstance. Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I don't think there's any, there's any mistaking the reality that it's the fruit of the Spirit that somehow or another we've got to position ourselves to bear fruit that doesn't come from our circumstance. It doesn't come from our environments. It doesn't come from our activities. It only comes by this abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that as we stay in His presence, just something happens and it's called fruit. It's called fruit here. I mean, you think about fruit and trees, you know, they have to be in the right environment. There has to be a right, uh, uh, the, the, the environment for that fruit to grow has to be correct. I mean, there are some places you don't plant an apple tree. You just don't plant it there because the environment is not conducive to produce apples from that tree. Orange groves grow in certain areas. You don't see them everywhere. I mean, it's just kind of funny that way, how that you, uh, you see a lot of corn in Nebraska. But your orange groves are in places where freezes and frost are unlikely to happen. They have to be in the right 
environment. And in order to grow the fruit of the Spirit, you have to be in the right environment. And that environment's not, not, that, you know, not necessarily that, that lake experience or that golf experience. or that, 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 that right environment is just to find yourself in a place of faith where you can recognize the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit on you even in that moment. Even in that moment, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell us today afresh that God has not forsaken any one of us? That God has not forsaken any one of us? That if we will stay in that environment of His presence, even when we don't understand everything that's going on in life, if we will just stay in that abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, that there will be fruit that will grow from that place and that place alone. Some of that fruit is love and some of that fruit is joy. Some of that fruit is joy, that there is a fruit of joy that would spring forth from our life. Not a hilarity, not a fleeting moment of happiness, but this abiding presence of God that brings a calm delight that just speaks to the soul and says, shh, it's going to be I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have needed that simple voice to speak in my spirit. It's, it's going to be okay. But it doesn't feel okay. It doesn't even look okay. But if you will get in that presence, if you will stand there in faith. So I love what Jesus said John 15, verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Listen to this. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So, I mean, here's the thing about about these circumstances that bring this measure of joy in our life. Well, that's our joy. But Jesus said that if you will abide in my love, if you will just abide in my love, get in that place where you just by faith recognize the presence of God working in your life and just stand there by faith. If you will abide in that, if you will have that abiding presence of the Holy Spirit working in your life, if you will do this, my joy will be in you. My joy. Jesus said, my joy, the joy of Jesus will be in you. And when my joy is in you, your joy is complete. Some translations even say full. Your joy is full. So it is, it becomes a matter of perspective and and, and Philippians 4 4 speaks something to us. I mean here is here is one solution to how we face circumstances. I'm working with the family in Texas. I love them dearly. They're really they're really probably closer to Raylene and, and me and, and, and our boys. They're really probably closer than than ninety five percent of our blood relatives. I mean they are they are so they are so close to us in our friendship, and I've been working with them uh, for the last little over a year now. I've been working with them because this tragedy that struck their family, that 
that there's just no explanation for it. There is just no, there are no words to say. I mean, I, I, I just, I have been staggered more than once in this circumstance trying to help them fight their way through the muddy water of this tragedy that took place in their lives just a little over a year ago. And there have been times where, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I don't even think, I don't even think, just right where they were, they just, they didn't even like God. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they really didn't want, you, you can't come riding in there with the Bible and, and go to quoting verses. They don't want to hear that. They don't understand what happened in their lives. They don't understand the tragedy that took place. They don't understand the loss that, that they faced in that circumstance. And here I am, you know, I'm supposed to be the, the preacher guy among us. You know what I'm saying? I'm the member of the family that, you know, goes to church. You understand? And, and I'm sitting here and I'm working and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to navigate this water with them. And they are just now, they are just now getting to a place where I can really start talking to them like I'm talking to all of us today. That there is a place in the Holy Spirit that if you will find yourself abiding there, your calm delight will return. And I really think that's what Philippians 4 is saying to us here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then Paul says, I will say it again. Rejoice. If you know anything, let me, let me give you a quick um, language lesson in the Greek language. It's also true in the Aramaic language in the Old Testament. In the Greek language, there is what is called the law of the second mention. There is even the law of the third mention, okay? And, and, and the law of the second or third mention goes like this, that in this language, if you repeat something, like it's repeated here, the word rejoice is repeated twice, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice, okay? Uh, in the Greek language, this probably read more like uh, rejoice in the Lord always, rejoice, all right? But, uh, but just for the, the sake of clarity in English, uh, the writers, the translators uh, say, I will say it again, rejoice. Here's what I'm trying to say, and this is so important for you, is that it was so important to the Apostle Paul that he would tell them to rejoice twice. This means there is an added emphasis. It's not, he, he's, not, he's not just saying, I want you guys to rejoice in the Lord. He is saying, I want you guys to rejoice in the Lord. He is overemphasizing this idea of rejoicing. Why? Because that was a persecuted church. Why? Because those people lived in a harsh environment. And he knew that there was no way they could maintain any sense of calm delight outside of their faith in Jesus Christ. And he is telling them to rejoice. I wish I could change the letters. In my notes, I have a re, and I have a dash, and I have a J-O-Y, and a dash, and a C-E. Rejoice. You know, telling people to rejoy yourself, like pulling up to a gas pump and putting gas in the gas tank. It's like come up to this place in the Holy Spirit where the joy of the Lord flows free and fill your life with the joy that only comes from Him because the Lord knows that in our lives many times things are just too heavy to bear for us to have any sense of joy without Him. 
And so we rejoice our life. This is the moment where I say, I do not know where Pastor Trent is hiding. There he is. I am ready for you. Cleveland always hides in plain sight. Years ago, I was reminded of this. That I, I, I didn't get here for our wonderful first churches. They, they missed this. But years ago, we were in Boston. Boston was... just born we were living in a house in a neighborhood that's in Jinx name of the neighborhood is Copperfield Estates we were living in Copperfield Estates and it's not it's just it's like three blocks from where we live now just across 111th the Copperfield Estates and uh, we have occasion at times to drive through that neighborhood in Boston and I were coming through there last week and cutting back through the neighborhoods to get back to our house and drove by that house. I, I could have taken another way, but ever so often I get that feeling of nostalgia to drive by the old place, you know. And I driving by there, and I noticed in the front yard, and I pointed it out to Boston. I, I said, you see that tree right there? And it's a rather large tree. It's probably 30, 30 you know, probably 30 feet. I would say close to it now, um, large, um, wide, a trunk on it, very, you know, probably a foot or more in diameter. So, both of us, I remember that tree when I was, when we lived in that house. We had a next door neighbor to the next door to us, and he and I planted planted that tree as a sapling. It's just a little, little bitty, scrawny sapling that we. He had purchased, and he, he came to me. He said, you know, he's, he said, I'm going to plant this tree in the yard. You want me to put it on the property line where we can both enjoy it? And I guess somebody's both enjoying it to this day. Both of us have moved from those houses since then. But I drove by, and I told Boston, I said, that tree right there was planted about the time, about the time you, you were born. That tree was planted. We planted that tree in that yard. And now look at it. It's this massive tree. Back before there was a massive tree, there was just an empty lot, really just empty front yards. We were kind of going through some stuff, and you know, life had kind of had a way. I wasn't finding any happiness anywhere. One day I was out in the front yard, and I was kind of proverbially kicking the can. You know what I'm saying? Like I was just kind of down in the mully grubs, is what we would say in East Texas, and just sort of shuffling the grass around in the yard, thinking about things and how negative things were for us at that moment. You ever been there? And old Jim come walking out, and I said, Jim, I'd never seen Jim go to church. But he knew I pastored a church, but I'd never seen him go to church. And we had talked about the Lord. I knew he loved the Lord, but he just wasn't a church guy. And he came up to me and said, hey, what's going on, Rob? I'm like, oh, you know how it is. He said, man, you're kind of looking down today. 
you know, usually I'm kind of upbeat and laughing and, you know, kind of jovial kind of guy. And he's like, you're kind of looking down today. I went, yeah, you know. You know how it is. He said, do I? I said, oh, I'm sure you do. Everybody has their moments, don't they? I'll never forget what my neighbor, my unchurched neighbor friend Jim said to me. He said, man, Rob, don't you preach faith at your church? And I looked up at him. And when I mean seriously, don't you preach faith at your church? I said, yeah. He said, don't you believe God can take care of stuff? And I went, yeah. So Jim said, man, none of my business. But it kind of seems to me like you should practice what you preach. And I do not remember anything other than that. I think he turned around and went inside and left me out there to chew on the reality that I had forgotten Philippians 4.4 in my life. That I can't rejoice in the circumstance. I can't rejoice in the situation. I can't rejoice in all of these things that are going on. But I can find that place in the presence of the Lord. And in His presence, here's the key, in His presence, if I would concentrate on Him just for the moment, there would be a rejoicing take place in my life. See, folks, it's a matter of where you concentrate. And I'm telling you right now that if you look at the negative or if you look at the circumstance or you look at what people have done to you or you look at, 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 at the losses and, and the things that are, that are in that realm, if you focus on them, you'll, you'll be pulled down. But if somehow or another you can just rejoice in the Lord, if you can just rejoice in Him. That's really what Jim was saying to me that day. Is, man, go back to what you believe. Stop concentrating on these things that are so negative and put your eyes one more time on this God who is sovereign, who understands all things, who for surely, for surely is able to help you in this circumstance and who can for surely guide you to the truth that is really taking place in your life so that you can find that place of a calm delight. No, I'm not going to... It was a long time, I think, before we laughed. I'll be honest with you. There wasn't a lot of laughter. There wasn't a lot of laughter. There was a lot of pain and a lot of hurt going on in the transition of the church. But I will tell you this, there came a day when we could laugh again as long as we kept focusing, concentrating on the Lord that God's going to see me through. And can I tell somebody today, please hear me. Please hear me. God's going to see you through. I don't know how. I really don't. I don't understand. I know it's like Jesus said, things are heavy to bear. But if you could somehow or another listen to this guy just for a moment, if you could just listen to me, if you will get in the abiding presence of the Lord and you just shift your faith focus back on Him, I'm telling you, clarity will come at some point and you will find yourself with an abiding joy that only comes from the Holy Spirit. I know somebody wants it today. Would you stand with me? Please stand with me. I'm, I'm through. I'm going to pray. Can I pray? Bow your heads for a moment, please. Just be respectful.
That's what I want to do first before I, I do anything else. If you are here today, you say, you know, Pastor, I just need a fresh start in my life. I mean, seriously, my faith has been shaken or maybe I haven't had any faith at all and I, and I just really need to, to call on God for salvation or for healing or for, for a touch of His Spirit or a recommitment in my life. Would you just lift a hand up right now and say, you know what, that's me. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me right now? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I am not going to call you forward. I am not going to call you out. I'm not going to make a spectacle of you. I'm simply going to ask everyone to pray with us. Pray with us. Jesus, I ask you right now, by your presence, let the joy of the Lord become my strength. Help me. Save me. Heal me. I recommit myself to you now or I commit myself for the first time I ask for your presence I know you are my Lord and Savior I know that Christ died for me I know that God raised him from the dead and I know there's healing right now in Jesus name everybody said amen Keep your heads bowed for a moment, please. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for there to be sweet deliverance. Sweet deliverance. I'm asking you, I am asking you for sweet deliverance. That you would, that you would relieve someone today. That you would relieve them. That there would be relief in your presence even right now. With minds that don't understand and hearts that are confused and things that are that are going on, Father. I pray in the name of Jesus for there to be a place of joy, a calm delight, just this abiding presence of your Spirit that would work on the behalf of those who are hurting. I'm, I'm asking you in Jesus' name for healing. I'm asking for Jesus' name for deliverance. And I thank you for it right now. As it flows in this house, I thank you for it right now. Help every member of this place today, every person in the sound of my voice, I pray right now that you would help them to concentrate on the Lord. Get a picture. Get a picture. Get a picture. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I wonder if our prayer partners would come forward. If you are a prayer partner today, please step forward. I want to, uh, man, there is a, there is a heaviness that is in this room that is, is um, not, it is not here as condemning. It is here as abiding. The abiding presence of the Holy Spirit is in this place. This is the thing we've got to understand about the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is not this hilarity. There's not, it's not this giddy thing. The joy of the Lord is this calm delight. This is assurance that everything's okay. This is assurance that everything's okay. And if you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I'd love somebody to pray with me concerning this in my life or some other thing. If you're facing sickness, please do not forget Don Cochran. Make sure you make contact with Joni. Don is at home. 
They're about to do chemotherapy again. They've harvested stem cells. Let's believe God for miracles in that circumstance. Please don't forget them and the others that are facing situations in their life. Let's, let's don't forget them. If you need special prayer, I ask you to come forward. Please do not be afraid to come forward. And um, let's pray together that God can work miracles. If you do not need special prayer, you say, Pastor, it's been good for me. I'm just going to go home and find calm delight. Then I say a great big God bless you. May this week be the most blessed week you've ever lived. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. And may the peace of God pass understanding. I love you. God bless you in Jesus' name.